I'm Elizabeth Ames, and this is the Women in Product podcast. This episode is part of our series about the path to chief product officer. It is one of nine interviews we conducted with incredible women CPOs about their individual paths to chief product officer. In this episode, Rashmi Ramesh interviews Kataki Rao, Chief Product Officer of Data AI. Kataki was previously the head of identity and consumer rights for customer 360 audiences, and before that, head of audience studio product management. Both positions were at Salesforce. Prior to that, she was Senior Vice President of Product at Jivox. Kataki is also a board member at Stanford Alumni Women's Impact Network. She has a BE in Electronics and Communication from Manipal Institute of Technology, an MS in Electrical Engineering from Stanford University, and an MBA from INSET. Rashmi is a member of the Women in Product community and currently a Director of Product. I'll let Rashmi and Kataki take it from here. Kitaki, first of all, welcome to Women in Product, and we are really excited to know a lot more about your career and your journey. Uh, that would just not help folks like me, but many other folks who are just like me, um, looking for more guidance and you know for more thoughts about how do you really carve your career. So thank you so much again for your time. And let's um, probably start with um, you know one of the basic things, since we are all Women in Product, how did you get started in product management and did you always want to be a chief product officer? Yes, um, I uh, will definitely openly, candidly say I did not know what a chief product officer was when I started my career. So I didn't aim for that. Um, I got into a product because I started in engineering and engineering is about building products. But what I found is my gap was I didn't know why I was building the product. So I knew what I was building and how to build it, but not why. And that led to some early um, setbacks in my um, career in which, you know, products I'd worked on really hard, poured my heart and soul into, didn't launch. And it just made me take a step back and say, you know, I need to be able to connect the dots better. And that's when I transitioned into product management because I felt it was a good balance between understanding the business and the why, but also empowering the engineers who were in a situation like me. So they knew why we were doing things and they could make smarter decisions too. So that that's how I uh, started in uh, product management. That's awesome. That's awesome. And during this process, um, when did you make uh, more attempts to kind of explain to them the why? Because that was something you were missing when you were on the other side of the fence. And how did that evolve as a leader? Yeah, you know, I must say, I don't have to ask them because they typically ask me. So never had a problem with an engineer being shy about the why. Because it is a lot of work to create a product. Uh, There's many hours, so it's only fair that they understand why I strongly encourage it. Um, you know, but different people are different. Some people like to go deep and understand a particular part of the technology. Some people go wide. Uh, but I, I find overall people are asking more and more in engineering, uh, especially compared to my time you know, 20 plus years ago. More and more people want to get closer to the customer. They want to sit in on customer calls or even uh, help customers solve problems. So that's that's a really good change in how we are doing technology. Completely agree with that. 
And in this process, um, what detours happened or what pivots did you probably undertake um, to really get to this uh, state of being a chief product officer currently? Yeah, you know, it's really odd, Rashmi. Like when I look at it back now, it's like, yeah, I made the right changes to be here, but wasn't planned at all. Um, I did what was interesting, what I thought would be fun. And uh, some of the unexpected pivots uh, were that I went from a large company like Amazon to creating my own startup, which was the other extreme, you know, really like funding it myself with my co-founder. Um, it was that was one an unexpected pivot. That startup was not a success, uh, but it was a great learning experience. Now, I was forced to see all aspects of the business and really appreciate um, things that you take for granted, like marketing in a big company. Marketing is really hard. We really underappreciate marketing and sales. And if you have to do it yourself, then you really feel the pain. So that was one pivot that I think really helped me. Not only did I understand it in theory, I tried doing it, not successfully, but I tried doing it. Um, the next big pivot for me was working for someone who had done multiple startups. Uh, his name was Dias Nezamoni. He's the uh, co-founder of Informatica. So Informatica, of course, startup that became a billion dollar company. Formed an, He created another startup after that, sold it through uh, multiple hops through IBM. So he really knew how to run it. Um, and I reported directly into him as his first product hire. So really built the product team, but learned from him how to build the product team, how to run a product organization. Uh, I consider that a key part of my journey, uh, working for Dyson as a money. Then I went back to Salesforce, which is a large company, uh, another uh, pivot that is unexpected, but it was for a specific uh, purpose, which is to learn how to scale the product. Salesforce has an army of 5,000 people selling your product. If you want to get your product to customers, you've got to evangelize with the sales team. And I really learned to do that at Salesforce. Uh, and then I think my final pivot here, data AI, uh, couldn't be more excited for this opportunity to come in and execute on the company's corporate vision. So really take the corporate vision and translate it into product strategy. Um, yeah, so that's a little bit of my journey. I mean, really didn't plan individual steps, but along the way picked up expertise in mobile apps, uh, you know, self-serve platforms, enterprise software, and that's actually a perfect fit for data AI. That's that's pretty awesome. I think we'll definitely get to a little more of the translating these experiences across these journeys in a bit. But um, one of the questions um, I had while you were describing uh, the pivots was um, you talked about um, um, Diaz and how he was kind of instrumental across uh, some of these um, um, areas for you. How would one kind of approach or get in touch with such kind of folks that you really want to work with? And how did you come across working for him, basically? What was your approach, um, you know, to really working with folks like that that could help you build um, a big part of your career? Yeah, it's a, it's a great question. Um, you know, there's definitely some luck involved, but I do think you can prep for it. Um, one of the key things is just building up your expertise. So, you know, I'd, of course, done product management at, Amazon, which was one of the best places to start with, uh, for product management and the customer obsession. But while I was doing my startup, I got in really deep on all aspects, 
So I knew, uh, you know, how to build the platform really well. I knew how to sell it, not very well, marketing decently. But that breadth of experiences made me a really good fit for someone who could um, who could manage the expectations at diocese level. Because he's a senior executive. He needs someone who can take take a charter and go run with it, right? Like he cannot be there to help you do every day of the work. So you have to build your competency up to that point, And then you will find the person who will trust you to take the next big step. But the competency comes from you. So, you know, build your own experiences, your own skill set, so you can do that job. Um, and then the opportunities come. You have to look for them. You have to look for them. In this case, um, you know, Diaz was looking. He had uh, publicized that he was looking for this role. And I really just reached out on LinkedIn. I said, hey, I'm interested. Thank you. I was going to ask for the example, and that was a perfect example there as to how you would approach. Um, and uh, fast forward now, um, how did you land in this position with respect to being a chief product officer at um, data.ai? Was it something that you approached or were you recruited for this role? Tell us about Tell us about that. Yeah, so Data AI is a much bigger company, you know, uh, close to 150 million in revenue now. So um, it, it the search process is a little different. Typically at this company, this size and this level of executive, it's not a public search. You won't see this on their job posting, so I wouldn't know. Um, so in this case, it was more through recruiters. Um, I wasn't actively looking. I was at Salesforce, you know, doing decently there. Um, but when recruiters would reach out, I would tell them I'm not looking, but if it is a CPO role, I'm willing to chat. I was very clear that if I leave Salesforce, it needs to be worth it. It needs to be a significant um, change in my career trajectory because I'd already created and led a product team at uh, Jivox or Dias. Um, so it, it was just that. I just made it very clear. And then one of the recruiters reached back out with this opportunity. Um, we had a good chat, uh, lots of uh, conversations, lots of work. And then here I was. Congratulations for, for that. And we'll talk a little more about uh, that part and prep as well. Um, coming to the next kind of um, understanding about the preparation as to, you know, to become a CPO, even though probably didn't intend at the beginning of your journey. But um, what skill sets um, did you actively seek to actually acquire over the course of your time um, in order to um, become a CPO uh, person? We talked, we talked about scale uh, from a Salesforce standpoint and some of your startup experiences, the breadth of experiences. Were there anything else that you kind of added to your um, um, you know, list of skills that really helped you position as a leader for you to be um, as a CPO for data.ai. Yeah, Rashmi, you're uh, picking things up very astutely. You know, definitely the breadth was important. The ability to go deep, so depth is also important. You should be able to go deep if you have to. Because as a CPO, you're responsible for the whole product. Now, if there's a problem in engineering, I need to be able to go deep with the engineers. There's a problem in marketing, I do need to also be able to look at the plan and go deep there. Um, you're absolutely right. Also, with it's the you know scaling the product was also critical. The one other thing I think was pivotal, um, especially for me. I'm an introvert by nature, so I really had to teach myself. Um, was uh, the communication, the presentation. Um, they, people call it executive presence. I really never knew what that was. Like, what is this executive <laughs> presence? 
but that was very critical um, to learn how to be able to take command of a room, right? To, to learn how to be able to get people to listen to you, but also engage with you, right? Because today is not the day of me giving a monologue. No one will listen to me for 30 minutes. It's really about getting them engaged. So we are doing it together. That that was key learning, but the communication, I think, is um, one of the key things. I was always strong with written, but verbal communication, I worked quite a bit on, and I thank Salesforce. They train us really well. Completely agree on that, looking at, you know, the lineup of women and the kind of leaders we have got uh, from Salesforce. So. Um, narrowing down the question a little bit more, um, what skills should someone uh, acquire if they're just, let's say, a step or two away from being a CPO or they aspire to be in that position? Yeah, uh, that is actually the trickiest one. Like I find, you know, that's when it gets really hard because there's so many, there's so many people who want to get there and so few CPO roles. Right. Um, it really you really do have to go wider with your influence. So when you're solving problems for the company, you have to come out of, um, I'm getting my team to do something, versus saying the company needs to do something. So the more you can work on things that are across um, different functions, different teams, the better it is for that step. Um, I'll give an example from Salesforce. One of the um, you know, last uh, initiatives I worked on was cross-functional across marketing cloud and uh, what we call the core team. And it was the product teams, it was the marketing teams, the enablement teams, sales, engineering, so really wide in its breadth. Uh, and of course, one of the Salesforce um, you know, VPs was leading that, but even just being part of that initiative and seeing how he coordinated it how he got people to move in the same direction across so many different functions was an eye-opening experience. So you know, raise your hand when things like that come up. It, it does take more effort. You know, it was multiple meetings a week, some extra work from my day job. But I really learned a lot, um, you know, just what questions to ask. What are you looking for across teams? Uh, that's the kind of opportunities I would look at because then when you are talking to people about CPO opportunities, your vision is brought that way. Your responses will not be about, you know, here's my roadmap and I will fix it. It'll really be like, what's important for the company? What's the company strategy? And how can I map the work of my BU to that? And that's that's amazing. You've, you've articulated really well. Thank you for that. I think that's uh, that's really key there. And since this was your first CPO um, uh, role as such, how did you know what the CPO role entails and what are its responsibilities and things, um, especially as, as I said, you were you are the first time CPO. So how did you kind of prepare for this just beyond the skills? How do you know? How did you know, you know, what really was the role about in the first place? Um, you can never really know till you do it. And it will differ by company, just like product manager, right? Like product manager, even within the Kindle team and Amazon was, they were doing different things. So it will depend on what the company needs from you. And that should be a key question. What does the company need from the CPO? And am I the right person to do it? Um, for example, when uh, data AI, when uh, we were discussing, I asked them that question and 
Now, their goal was we are the standard for mobile performance. You know, everybody trusts us for creating mobile performance estimates, but we want to go beyond to all digital data. We want to go deep with AI. So we are not just giving data, we are giving prescriptions, we are giving execution. Um, that means hiring a new team, building a new team, building a bigger team, building a program that can deliver reliable. And that was aligned to my skill set. So it was the right opportunity for me. Versus, you know, if someone had said, got a great business, it's running really smoothly, just want you to come and manage it, it wouldn't have been so exciting for me. Maybe exciting for somebody else, right? So you have to find out during the process, what do they want you to do? Do they want you to keep it stable, change it, change it in which way? And am I the right fit for it? Uh, I would also look at company dynamics, sales-led, product-led, marketing-led. Is that the right fit for me? Now, all of those are important. Um, in terms of what can prepare you for it um, beyond skill set, it's really mindset. Uh, you know, you do have to be open to it's new. It's going to be difficult. Uh, my current CEO, Ted Kranz, is one of my uh, greatest mentors as well. Uh, you know, he I felt comfortable he would take me to that next level. In my first six months, he spent an immense amount of time with me, helping me learn. Um, and really, the first six months were climbing up very steep mountain. I will not lie. It was not easy. It was very hard, but I really wanted to do it. Right? And when you really want to do something, the hard work is actually fun. Um, find the right environment, the right opportunity, and the right leader who will support you and grow you. Right? Like, I, I really appreciate Red for this. Ted brought me in saying, I will grow you and then I will let you go. And he, now he does. He doesn't, he's completely hands off, but he guided me in the right direction to help me be successful. And that was critical. The right mentor makes a world of difference. Got it. No, that's that's awesome. So in this, um, and I know you, you spoke about some very nice uh, tidbits here. Um, one follow-up question there. So while you were having these conversations, probably not just with Data AI, but other companies as well, did you feel at a point where you were kind of coaching the company as to, you know, what a CPO role would probably be versus, you know, the other way around where they exactly had um, a mindset of, you know, these are the skills that we're, or this is the kind of position this would be um, for a person to come take. And did you have those kind of experiences? Because CPO is a new role, right? It's probably been around for less than three, four years, I think, at this point. So, no, it's a good question. Um, some companies know better what they want from the role. And like I said, it will vary by company. Vary. Mm -hmm. Sometimes. The CPO reports into the CTO. Sometimes the CTO reports into the CPO. Sometimes engineering is part of CPO. Sometimes it's not. So it will vary. And that's why you should just ask. Um, they, they will typically have a mind, something in mind for the structure. Uh, it wasn't a data AI. Ted was very clear what he wanted from the role. Uh, that was great. Um, but some of the other companies I talked to uh, weren't always so clear. It's like, you know, we don't have a product market fit. We need a CPO to come and solve it. That's not very reassuring because product market fit will take time. You may never get it, right? Whereas a CPO needs to come in and execute a strategy, at least for me. A different CPO will be more interested in product market fit. 
when it comes down to things like uh, product market fit or an earlier stage of the company, you don't often don't know what you need. And that's okay, right? because you're growing the company, so you will learn and know together. But um, a bigger company like Data AI is pretty clear when we came in. Um, but yeah, I mean, you know, so you have the conversation, right? And you do influence and adapt together. Um, like, uh, you know, again, with Ted, uh, he had some ideas and we discussed and made, did make some changes. And I thank him for giving me the opportunity to voice my point of view and uh, also making some changes based on that. It has to be collaborative. Right. Right. No, that, that's that's an awesome insight of how different stages of the company view this role very differently and the functions are also different based on that. And any resources or learnings um, that you can probably share or any trainings that you would recommend that would help you get closer to this? Yeah, it's, it's interesting. I don't know if I did any training. There isn't too much research out there because like you said, it's a relatively new role. Um, I would say just talk to people, right? Like, like I mean, what you're doing is amazing, Rashmi. Like, you know, getting this series together so others can learn. I wish I had that when I was starting out. Uh, but really in the interim, just talk to people. Like, what does it mean? What are you responsible for? You are an officer of the company, which does mean something different. You have a fiduciary responsibility to the board. And that's one of the key things to learn and understand. Like, what does that mean? You are your primary responsibilities with the board. Um, yeah, I mean, actually, I don't know. Actually, I don't know of any great research or training. <laughs> but if you find one, or once this is done, I will point to this podcast as the source. <laughs> no, that, was, that, was, that was great. And in this process, um, what barrier do you think was the hardest to break uh, to become the CPO? And why was it hard? And what did you do to overcome that? Getting that first opportunity is hard, Rashmi, I won't lie. Like, you know, someone is trusting you with running product for their company. Um, you've really got to prove you can take it and run with it. Um, so that was very hard for me to first convince myself that, yes, I can do this, uh, but then convince others. Uh, I know Ted won't mind if I share this, but you know, I'm... Now, uh, sometimes when I'm talking about the product, I'm very animated. But if you ask me to talk about myself, I'm like, oh, yeah, yes, I'm I'm excited. And uh, at one point he said, do you really want this role? <laughs> and, you know, I didn't know what to say. So at that point I said, yes, and I can sign a letter in blood to prove I really want this role. And that really convinced him. Because at this level, for a CPO role, you have to really be hungry for it. You have to really want it because it's hard. Some days are really hard. Some days are like, why did I get myself into this? And so you should really love it and want it. Uh, and that, that's what he was asking. Uh, and hope I looks like I convinced him. But it, it is hard because you're going into these meetings to, under, to understand what the role is, but you're also convincing the team that I can do this. It's a very key role. It can make or break the company type of role. Right. No, totally agreed. And were there any specific challenges you faced um, as a female leader um, during this path to be a CPO? Um, yeah, you know, it's always been a hard thing for me to know whether it's because I'm a woman or because I'm an introvert. 
because both of those are traditionally not associated with leaders. Mm-hmm. I always struggle with that. Is this because I was a woman or I'm an introvert and I don't express my uh, feelings that openly? Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I mean, you know, just like marketing yourself, like being able to talk about yourself has always been difficult for me. So I've found my way. The way I do it is I do it through LinkedIn, right? So I publish things that my team is doing. Uh, earlier in my career, I would get a lot of recommendations on my LinkedIn profile. So others could see that. And hearing from someone else that you did something well is helpful. It's way easier for me. I hate talking about myself. Uh, so that, that was uh, like, I think that was the hardest part for me. But again, I don't know if it's a woman or introvert, but I always find it very hard to say, I am so good at this. No, that's an amazing tidbit as to how you would explain yourself or your team or what it does through a channel such as LinkedIn uh, or any means. And that has been your um, way of expressing that. That's that's a really good um, insight there. And um, the, with respect to a CPO, especially at, um, uh, at these companies, um, board approval is one of the key things, right? So with uh, how did you learn or equip yourself for board approval? I know you did your own startup and you know you were part of other startups and a big company like Salesforce. But um, because this is a crucial part, uh, mm-hmm. especially for these kind of roles, how do you ex- equip yourself um, for these board approvals? Yeah, uh, you know, you're absolutely right. The earlier experiences did help. So the more you can get board exposure earlier in your career, it may not be approval, just presenting to boards, uh, observing boards is always critical. Um, At Data AI, again, Ted was instrumental in preparing me for those conversations the first few times. Um, It was part of my interview process too. So I did get uh, interviewed by the board for the uh, role itself. And there, uh, our head of people, Remy Blijendal, was very instrumental in helping me with, you know, what are their expectations? What are they looking for? What should you emphasize as part of your experience? Um, And if someone doesn't tell you, you should ask, like, hey, I'm coming up for this. What do you think I should emphasize? What should, uh, what are they looking for? What can I help with? Um, So asking the questions is always great, finding the mentors. Uh, But really, you have to also trust that the board wants the right thing for the company. So if they don't approve, don't take it as a personal thing. It's that you're not the right fit for the company and it's better for both you and the company. You want to come into a place where people want you in and believe your skill set is what will make the difference. Um, so it's it's as much you interviewing them as them interviewing you as well. Got it. No, that's, uh, that's very true. And in that sense, um, for people who are the direct VP level, um, how do they seek such opportunities early on um, to get um, some face time with the board across that? How how do you think one should approach that or what kind of opportunities should they look for? Yeah, first of all, ask for them. Um, so my team, for example, you know, I've got many directors and VPs in my team. Um, I'm always looking out for when I'm reporting things to the board, can I have them do it instead of me? Um, so that's, you know, uh, keeping that in mind when you're accomplishing something in the team, make sure you pop it up to your CPO so they can watch out for those opportunities for you. Also be very open to feedback. If you've not done the board um, round before, you may have always done something a certain way and it worked really well for you. 
or works really well for an internal or even customers, it doesn't always work the same way for the board. So I'll give you one example from my life. Um, you know, I've been talking to customers forever and um, and I've even like presented to the boards, uh, you know, and Jivox with DAIs and so on. But at Data AI, um, the board expectations were a little different. They didn't want a conversation, right? It was like a quick readout. As Ted calls it, net it out, you know, in and out. You don't go in there and start explaining all the nuances and all that. It's like headlines, what are the three things you want to tell them? So I'll typically do things like I'll have a post-it note with three things, and I will just say those three things. Let them ask the questions. If they don't have questions, we just move on. So that was key for our board. Every board is different, so you have to figure out what's right for your board. Um, but take that feedback. So if your CPO is saying, you know, hey, your presentation is really good, but I need you to do X or Y or Z, take it. Because one, it will give them confidence that you can handle it. They will be embarrassed if you don't do well. Um, and two, you will succeed. I mean, it doesn't benefit your CPO to have you fail in front of the board. So they are saying it for the right reasons and give it a try their way. And you can then next time come back with suggestions and discuss it with your CPO. But you are really going together. Don't try to do something one-off or surprise them in that meeting. That meeting is really for the board. The board's responsibility is on behalf of the shareholders. So they are looking to make sure you're doing the right thing for the business. And um, it's very easy to misinterpret some of the execution details. So you know, it, 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 is, it needs to be a well-curated, well-thought-out um, experience for the board. And there's, there's always opportunities. We bring in people with data AI from different parts of the company if they are leading certain critical initiatives, right? We do that. I think you're really taking that, you know, give back uh, in a big way across everything that you do, which is which is pretty awesome. And thank you for that. No, thank you. Um, one of the th big things about uh, being the leader, especially on the product side, is being able to build those right product teams, again, based on you know what the company is looking at, what it's doing, um, and where it needs to be. So how did you look at really building those right product teams? Yeah, so it's a really, really critical part. You're, you are only as good as your team is. <laughs> Nothing you can do by yourself. Um, it, it's important to align at a higher level with what are you looking for? What is the team? What are the characteristics of the person that you're looking to hire? Because skill set is easier to gauge. Like, you know, you can give a case study, you can look at past experience references, and you're like, yeah, this person can do the job. But to be truly successful, they need to fit in the culture. Uh, yeah, I'll use Data AI as an example. We have identified that our ideal team player is humble hungry and smart. Uh, it's not something we made up. Patrick Lencioni from the Table Group actually wrote a book about this, but it just fit us really well. We want people who come in and who want to do things, right? It's not a uh, let's relax and things will come to us. We, we want to do big things. So if we bring in someone who doesn't want to do big things, they get stressed out or their teammates get frustrated with them. Like It just doesn't work out well. It's not me, it's like they don't succeed well. So being hungry is very, very important. Like being like pushing the envelope is very important for us. Being humble is important because we're all very opinionated. 
We all like to share our thoughts and we do it with radical candor and we encourage it. We love it. We love it that we can come in there and just say, no, I don't think this is right across all levels. Um, so the humility to accept that, you know, you may be an expert in your field, having worked in it for many years, but you have to be humble enough to hear another point of view or you won't succeed here. That was key for us. Uh, and then th uh, thirdly is smart. So that's working across different teams. We are a very tightly knit group of people. Um, so you can't go into a zone and say, I will only talk to engineers. Like, it just won't fit with our culture. Um, and I actually look for that while hiring. So, you know, people do all of the skill set interviews. We are still small enough. We're about 500 people. Um, and uh, I personally do the last cultural interview to check on this because I don't want to bring in the wrong person and have them be unhappy. Skill that I trust my team to test test the skill set, but that cultural interview, I do do a final check and um, everybody across the team does look for it. That's that's really make or break. You can learn one you know thing you're missing, but you can't change who you are right? that dramatically. No, that's uh, that's that's awesome. And have there been any um, not necessarily fa fa failures um, per se in building these teams, but any learnings that you've had from the past while trying to build you know the right teams um, there for. I would be as blunt and say failures too. <laughs> I don't always do everything right. Um, it, it's really hard to gauge these, like the humble, hungry, smart. Um, and, you know, it's hard for people to know if they are humble, hungry, smart, especially hungry, because hungry varies so much across companies. But people will come in and say, yeah, I want to do it. I can take it all. But then they come in and I've had it uh, a couple of times now where people said this was more than I expected. This was way more than I expected. It's very hard to tell, Rashmi. Like, I don't, even in retrospect, going back, I don't know how I could have done it differently. Um, it, there is a little bit more we are adding in terms of process to reduce some of the, should I say, changes, frequent changes. So that helps a little bit. Uh, but hunger has been always been the hardest one because people are like, yeah, I talked to my family and I can do it. And then, you know, after they join, it's like, no, it's too much. I can't. And I respect that, right? Like you have to do what's right for you. Uh, but yeah, I've definitely had some failures in hiring across all levels. <laughs> right yes. now, I have the best team I have ever worked with in my life. I'm so proud of them and so happy and privileged to work with them. Oh, that's, that's really candid of you. Thank you for that. And would you kind of ch change anything um, with regards to the approach that you had to become a, a CPO if you had a chance to go back in time, perhaps? Yeah, uh, always, right? Like you always look back and say, I could have done this better. <laughs> I, I think I would have volunteered more for other things. Like sometimes you're like, I have so much going on. I don't want to take on one more thing. Um, you know, one example comes to mind. I remember at Salesforce, um, the um, head of product for Marketing Cloud, you know, she asked us, I really need someone to go look at this competitive aspect and summarize it for me. We were in the middle of building the CDPs for like three full days. And I, I just didn't have bandwidth to do it. But in retrospect, I was like, I should have done it. I really should have done it. I would have gone so wide with the industry. I would have gotten closer to her and her point of view. Uh, so you always look back at there are things that could have accelerated my learning, 
Well, again, you have to do the right thing for you, your family and work balance, your mental health. Um, so yeah, there'll there'll always be some regrets, but you know, you have to pick one path and go. And- no, that's true. That's true. Thank you again for being so um, open about that. Really appreciate that. And um, I think now this is my most uh, interesting part, I think, of the interview, at least at least for me and hopefully for other folks as well, is translating your experiences, right? So you moved from Givox, which is a you know platform for delivering personalized digital experiences, advertising, marketing experiences to Salesforce leading identity and consumer rights um, as a part of your CDP platform and now data.ai. Um, which again is a platform for consumer and market data. So across these, walk us through how you were able to translate some of your experiences, um, especially since you had leadership roles across each of these um, companies. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I think Jvox was the hardest one to translate because I was coming out of Amazon, which is very consumer focused. Uh, and then Jvox was B2B, right? So it was enterprise business to business. Uh, digital creatives, uh, which is very exciting, and personalized creatives. So that was the hardest one, but it was a smaller company, and really, Dias was willing to take a shot on me. That's what it came down to. Um, he was comfortable that I understood product well, I could go deep with engineering, and that be willing to learn as he guided me. So I think those were key there. Uh, actually, I was at Jvox when I met my future manager from Salesforce, So that's how I transitioned into Salesforce and I worked in the marketing cloud. So it was related and, you know, advertising is part of marketing. I started with the data management platform at um, Salesforce and then transitioned into the CDP. Uh, For the data management platform, I was the lead for all of it. So I saw all parts of it. CDP was a net new platform. So there I was focused on identity and consumer rights, but it was still marketing. And then coming to data AI, what they were looking for is someone who understood big data right? and some someone who had some experience with mobile apps, which I had from Amazon. So that was lucky. Um, and our, it was very ironic, but our CEO also came from ad marketing and advertising. He was previously at Sky uh, Kenshu. And he was looking to move the company in a direction of audiences and solving marketing use cases. So it just fit in well in that I had big data. I knew where I could really understand where he was trying to go. And then I could map it back and bring the rest of the company to head in that direction. Uh, So that's how it came about. Data AI is actually really unusual. There aren't a lot of competitors. So it's always been hard for us to hire someone who has the exact same experience. Um, I also believe personally that product, uh, people get bored working on the same area over and over again. So if you give someone the same job in another company, it's not as much fun for them. Like I've personally switched around between ebooks, tablets, digital creators, and I've had a blast doing it, learning new industries. So I don't place as much emphasis on have you done this before, but have you done something similar enough before? Like our head of uh, paid intelligence right now, for example, was previously at Workday, which is HR software. Right, right. right. Doesn't matter. He's doing really well. He's uh, the point of contact for everybody in the team. And it's really that he understood big data. He understood 
enterprise customers and he understood how to work well with the enterprise sales team which made him successful there so um that was that's my personal philosophy and i think ted shares that too so he didn't look for someone who has the exact data ai skill set and um, yeah, made it fun for me fun for him got it got it so then definitely a common theme for you across these has been the big data experience big data and i'd say marketing like i've always been a little, like you know with marketing what happens is you're not you're not building the end product that's going to consumers right it's the b2b so you're um, building products for marketers that want to talk about their product so you get a breadth of verticals um, which is really fun and that has been common as well so it's a you're right big data and enterprise b2b got it got it and so what has been the super your superpowers across these uh, areas apart from the technology piece now you're talking like my nephew he is always talking about these characters and games and their superpowers <laughs> <laughs> uh, i i would say listening maybe because i'm an introvert but listening is something i do really well um you know i get more from a conversation than most people because i really pay attention also makes me really tired because i pay attention the whole time right <laughs> i tried to pick one out say listening is my superpower and the one that i had to work really hard on is communication but now i feel that is one of my stronger uh, capabilities as well got it got it no that's that's awesome and um as a cpo just moving a little um into the present now uh, could you kind of um describe um anything else that you want to add with respect to uh the how the role is different between a vp of product let's say and um and and the cpo at at the large i know you talked about um how you have a wider influence there but any other advice um that you would give uh, to these director of vp level folks um in their journey towards the chief product officer yeah it's again okay, it's really the mindset rashmi i can't tell you how big a difference that makes um you know it's not thinking about your product and how you can make your product more prominent it's thinking about what's best for the company sometimes to the detriment of the your product right if you sacrifice resources for your product or you um you know de-emphasize the positioning of your product because that's the right thing for the company it's really really hard to do uh, but that's the change you have to make and you have to do it in a way where you start influencing the other teams right it's not just like oh i'm not going to work on my product because it's not important it's what else can i do do you need help on sales uh, at salesforce one of the things i did is like i raised my hand for dreamforce as like you know my part of the product is actually stable we need engineers to move to a different part i agree i buy in and i fully support it but i have time so i'll help on a dream force i can talk about all of these different parts because i have the time to train myself um so find those opportunities where you can spread out and learn more as well um and then people will see that right people notice people notice that you're not narrow you're not always talking about your product you're talking about the whole thing you're talking at the company level um uh, that's key that mindset of you know it's not about my product my team the person reporting into me it's about the company are we doing the right thing for the company because at the end that's good for everybody it's good for every individual if the company does well 
Right. No, that's that's a that's an awesome example and an insight. Thank you for that. And in this process, um, did you think you had to make any personal or professional sacrifices to become a CPO? Or how do you even view them? Uh, do you really think about them as sacrifices or how do you view them? Uh, I was just going to say exactly that. Like, if it's a sacrifice, don't do it. <laughs> um, you know, it is learning, right? To me, learning is a privilege. Um, it's an opportunity. Uh, it does mean that you have to, I won't say sacrifice, you have to prioritize. Just like your product roadmap, right? You want to do everything, everything is fun. But right. what can I give up? So, for example, I don't cook that much. I make sandwiches, I make salads. And that's okay with me. I don't consider it a sacrifice. It's less important for me than having time with my people or have, being able to do what I need to do. So it's really just ruthless prioritization. You've got to make time for things, uh, even at work. You know, um, someone last week brought up a topic and said, "I really want to discuss pricing and packaging and like some optimizations I've thought of there." And I said, "That's very important, but this quarter that is not my priority. My priority is something else. Let's talk about it next quarter." Because even the half an hour spent talking about it distracts you and the rest of the team from what you really need to do right now. Uh, so you just have to be very clear in your words and your actions. Mm. No, that's uh, that's awesome. Thank you. And fast forward, let's say five years down the lane, um, how do you think this role will change uh, if it does? Yeah, uh, I hope this role does change. I would be very bored if I'm doing the same thing five years <laughs> from now. Um, you know, I joined Data AI last year, so it's been close to two years now. Um, I've just got the team on board, the best team I could hope to have. So five years from now, I think things will be running very smoothly. They will need less and less of me. And I think I'll be spending more time grooming the next person to take over and finding out what's next for me in the company. I think it'll be that time, right? You always have to have the next person who can back you up. Mm -hmm. That's because again, you are a CPO and officer of the company. For the company, it's the right thing that if you need to step away for some reason, uh, I won't say get a run hit a, hit by a bus. I would say if you have to go on vacation, someone right. has to be able to step in and keep it running. So five years from now, I would expect that I have that strong person ready to take over the reins if I need to move on. And I hope I'll find something that's equally fun to do uh, as the next step. I don't want to do the same job forever i i do find four years is my limit so i do plan for that <laughs> no that's again really candid of you thank you for that that was actually my next question to say what headline would you make next beyond the chief product officer so <laughs> i don't know i'm an introvert i don't want to make any headlines i want to hide <laughs> behind the curtains my job that makes me make headlines i'm very happy that the product makes more headlines than i do that's a good thing um, actually, I don't want to make a headline. I do want to, I don't want to be a good person. I really want to have that feeling that I did the right thing. It's very important to me that I had the best intent. I did the best I could. Uh, I did the right thing and I was fair to people. That's very important to me. Won't be a headline, but it will help me sleep better at night. That's that's awesome. Thank you so much for that, uh, Kitaki. This is this is uh, great. 
Rashmi, such an interesting conversation with Kataki. I just love her. I really appreciated how frank she was in her commitment to taking on the role at Data AI and how hard it was at the start. For our next episode, you're speaking with Yuying Chen Wen, previously the Chief Product Officer at Barnes & Noble Education. One of the things that I love about this interview is how she identified areas in her knowledge and background where she felt she needed to learn more, like AI and data. She made a conscious effort to build up skills that would be necessary to get where she wanted to go. Any tidbits from that interview that you'd like to share? Yeah, I thought you need to be very in tune with yourself, assessing the outcomes of your pivots and drawing parallels as well, as she talks about. She really talks about that connection to products and her passion, but going deep at the same time. I actually loved her example about how one overcomes a situation where you are an out-of-the-box candidate. And another tidbit that hit home for me was regarding the perception and how one gets typecasted to the same title, even, even when they have handled bigger projects um, of bigger scope, actually. So true. It really seems like the higher up you get in an organization, the more they're looking for an exact match. And so really having those skills to figure out how to pitch yourself when you're not exactly that exact match, really valuable. So I hope everyone will join us for the next episode to hear more. Thank you for listening. And thanks also to our partners, Discover, Google, Meta, and Upwork, who provide annual support for the work of women in product and our community. This podcast is an original production of Women in Product. Follow us on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. Leave us a review so that others can discover us or share this episode with people you know. If you have any questions or suggestions for future guests or topics, you can reach us at podcast at womenpm.org.